Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump, the show in which we discuss spiritual awakenings or shifts with people who have actually had one. My name is Rick Archer and my guest this time is Christopher Roberts. I met Chris a few weeks ago when I came to our local weekly satsang or spiritual discussion group a little late because I was doing one of these interviews beforehand and I walked in and sat down next to Chris and uh, just picking up on bits and pieces of the conversation I realized that he had already explained uh, or described a uh, significant shift that he had undergone in his experience not too long before so that intrigued me I thought oh boy another candidate for the interview show <laughs> and in fact there were three people that night around Chris's age and younger that I hadn't met before that very recently <clears throat> had undergone a significant shift or, or inner transformation. Chris tells me that every week it seems there are more in among his circle of friends. So maybe something in the water around here, but I don't think so. Something's going on and uh, it's going on globally, but it seems to be going on at an accelerated pace uh, here in Fairfield, Iowa. So Chris, thanks for coming in. It took us a little while to get this organized, <laughs> and I appreciate your taking the time. Perhaps we could start by your just telling us what you feel happened to you a month ago or whenever it was. I've been involved in various traditions, uh, ranging from Gnosticism to Zen Buddhism to old earth religions, paganism, uh, things of this nature. And I've developed, in my opinion, a pretty strong network of beliefs at this point about what enlightenment is, how to achieve this, um, how to get there, uh, and so forth. I was given material by a friend of mine, uh, coincidentally. He sent me to the website for some other reason. And I, I was looking around and I found something that resonated with me really strongly. What website? Uh, and this it was on projectcamelot.com. Um, referring to, and the, the material that I found is, is uh, an interview with uh, James, um, a gentleman who runs another website called wingmakers.com. Mm -hmm. And I've been somewhat interested in this material before, I just never had taken an active interest in pursuing it. Um, and so I read this entire interview, and by the time I got done, I realized that this had called into question everything that I believed. It was in a, such a way that or could not say that they were lying, or that they were wrong, or it was not truthful, mm -hmm. what had been said in this interview. Mm. And so if I accepted that as truth, I had to examine what I had already called truth. Mm -hmm. And then as those beliefs kind of crumbled in a, in a very tarot card tower fashion, <laughs> I was left with no beliefs. And I, I didn't even accept the things in the interview that as my beliefs, I just I had nothing at that point. I was back at zero. But having that experience left such a peaceful understanding that I didn't need to know. I didn't need to have an intellectual method or understanding on how to reach enlightenment. I didn't need to win some race to try to achieve enlightenment before I die or, or uh, try to stave off death by reaching enlightenment. <laughs> I could just be, and that was enough. And as a result of that, I've been experiencing uh, so much more happiness, so much more joy, a lot of spontaneous. My life is very spontaneous now, not so much before. My life is also very more heart-centered now than I was very locked into my intellect before, and I don't feel that way anymore. I'm much more centered on how I feel about a certain situation, or as a description of my day, I, I just, I, I do what I should be doing, doing the next obvious thing is, is a common phrase nowadays. 
I get up, I go to the bathroom, I, I get ready for school, I go to school. But if I feel like I need to be somewhere else and I have extra time, that's where I go. Mm-hmm. And I always, this has been with, without an exception to this point, I meet a person who's a friend of mine or someone I know of, and they tell me something I need to hear, or I tell them something they need to hear, or, or it just works out. Everything is very spontaneous, very without any effort, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of comes together. And it's a really great, enjoyable experience. It's been wonderful. Let me unpack that a little bit. So what was this website that you went on and re- read the interview? Uh, the original one was Project Camelot. Projectcamelot.com. And so you were reading something there, and that's where the interview was, or that referred you to another web? Uh, that, it was on that website. Okay. And this was an interview with whom? Uh, he is somewhat anonymous, but he goes by James. James. Um, so if, if somebody went to projectcamelot.com, they could find the interview by James pretty easily? Either James or Wingmakers. 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 So yes. you'd look for that on projectcamelot.com. Yes. there's okay. a, I think there's a, even a tab or something for it, mm-hmm. specifically. And then what was it about the interview that caused your uh, belief system to kind of crumble? What were they saying in the interview? It was, mm-hmm. it was a very, I don't want to say bare bones, but simple. Mm-hmm. Everything was very <laughs> simple and very clear of a system of control that's in place that is locking humanity into the way that we think how Mm. we get into these cycles. Mm. And it's a little more esoteric or kind of out there. So some beings or some authority or some intelligence or something is... It's it's almost like there's a lock on our consciousness. Uh And it's, it's these kind of loops that are built into it. And even people who think they're extremely spiritual are still caught in another loop. Hmm. And so I, I thought about that. I was like, am I in one of these loops? And I, I realized I was. I had absolutely bought into the system. Did you feel you were in a loop because some entity or some power was locking you into it or just because of your own in, indoctrination or habitual ways of thinking? Uh, I would say both, but there's definitely t- my own responsibility. That was the focus, was accepting my responsibility for my spirituality. Uh-huh. Because my whole life I had been searching for gurus, teachers, books, uh, techniques, programs, mm-hmm. you name it. You know, I, I'm 26 now. I've been looking probably into spirituality since I was 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. And the reason I haven't found anything is because I kept looking. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, I never, you know, stopped. And this is a big thing that Maharshi always said was self-referral. Right. And some people don't take the long view of what that actually means, of where you are taking complete responsibility at all times for your mm-hmm. spiritual evolution. Mm-hmm. And I had been projecting, you know, Uncle my Ford responsibility is. onto gurus and yeah. teachers and techniques and uh, historic uh, religions and mm-hmm. spiritualities and of all this this stuff. So that constituted your belief structure is, you know, beliefs in all these various teachers and what they taught. And so, yes. Yeah. And reading this interview somehow was a catalyst to call all that into question. It was, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, very clearly for me, it called into question everything that I had previously mm-hmm. ag- agreed to or believed in. Right within the minutes it took to read the interview, or did this take a while to work out? There, crumble. There was a bit of a jostle period. Uh, mm-hmm. I got to the end of it, and I was really shaken. I was like, I was kind of sitting there going, "Whoa, like, what do I believe now? Yeah. Like, h- how does this work? What, how does this fit into what I already? What's this paradigm that?" How does this fit into my paradigm? Mm-hmm. It, it couldn't reconcile. Mm-hmm. And I didn't accept that paradigm, but the paradigm I had before shattered. Huh. And in a, in a, Interesting. In a, it, it is, it, I still haven't completely formed a new paradigm to, to structure anything, yeah. in a sense. Well, maybe you won't. Yeah, maybe I won't. Maybe well, I don't maybe need Maybe it'll them. be a free-flowing kind of... <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. It's, it's been great. It's really been... 
And that's, I experienced that almost the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this, so it happened in one night, and it was pretty late at this point. They called in all this question, and I was pretty in turmoil that evening. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to bed, and I slept on it. I woke up, and I was still in the same like turmoil of, like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> what does this mean? And I, I could tell my habitual cycles were still in place, because immediately I wanted to reach out to other people mm-hmm. and ask them what I should do. Huh. And then I, I started laughing about that. I was on my way to pick up a friend of mine from the airport, and I just really wanted to talk to him about this. I really wanted his opinion. And I, I just started laughing at this habitual grasp for uh, acceptance and validation. validation. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely wanted him to say it is okay for me to have this, this uh-huh. shift occur. Uh-huh. But immediately that day and afterwards, I've just really enjoyed a supportive nature that I've never quite noticed before. Mm. Um, synchronicity, coincidence, call it what you will, but it's there in my life just about every moment. Yeah. It's interesting, you know. I mean, maybe this happens when Christians have a, you know, their second, or whatever, being born again and, and their whole life changes or something. But um, I can't speak to that. Maybe I'll have someone like that to interview sometime. But it seems like, you know, the mechanics of what happened with you were that an, an influx of a new idea, a new way of looking at things, caused an experiential and even a physiological shift. I mean, it, it, within a matter of 24 hours, it reoriented your whole approach to life. You know, you moved from your head yes. to your heart, and your whole you moved from kind of thinking to intuition, and uh, you know, maybe from thinking to feeling, if we want to put it that way, and. Yeah, there's much more of uh, what they call in Buddhism a mind gap, mm. where there's a, a break between thoughts. And if I put any attention whatsoever on that, on my mind at all, it's, it's no thoughts. Um, and the only time that I, I feel a lot of thoughts is if I'm not really paying attention or I'm bored in some, some way. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I really experience thoughts. Otherwise, uh, you're just sort of... I'm just kind of quiet. Yeah. And there's a feeling level. There's still definitely a feeling level there. Um, I can feel a way about something that I'm listening to or seeing or experiencing, but there's not as much monkey chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very peaceful. Yeah. I mean, you must have thoughts. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Like, I have to be somewhere. The, and... the mind is not gone at all, yeah. but, but it's quieted down a lot. Quieted down a lot. And it's interesting that it should, should have quieted down. I mean, that's what we've been talking about with people here pretty much. So, some people have experienced quite you know, abrupt shifts like that, and others it sort of snuck up on them over a long mm-hmm. period of time. And others maybe a little bit of both, you know, a lot of sneaking up and then a shift and then a lot of sneaking up. But in your case, it seems to be fairly abrupt. It was. Um, it's interesting. I, I really haven't thought about this until just now. Um, but there was a period of time before this, probably about a month, month and a half, mm-hmm. which I was in a lot of emotional turmoil. I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to be doing, if I was doing it correctly, where my life was headed. And I kind of took a break, and I, I took a block off of school, and just kind of I went back home, spent some time with some friends. I kind of felt some there was I definitely understood I was in a transition period, mm. and there was some change coming down the loop. Mm. But it was it was kind of something I had given up, like given up waiting on. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm you know I'm so tired of waiting on this. You feel it coming. Yeah, and I, I had gotten into a much better space once I had gotten back to Fairfield. I was like, okay, whew, life can start again. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. And then I just got sucker punched. With this. By this. Yeah, thing. this, this yeah. shift. The shift, I think the important aspect to, to talk about is that all of the, the, the features are kind of superfluous. It's the, it's the fact that I, at that moment, I could stop grabbing at enlightenment. Mm-hmm. I stopped grabbing at the answers. Mm-hmm. It was just, I don't know the answers. 
And I'm completely at peace with that, mm. which is nothing, it's, it's something I've never experienced before. Huh. So I've always been so intellectually um, aggressive yeah. in trying to gather knowledge, gather information. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the main shift where this easing into life occurred, mm. to where it was no longer me struggling against nature, no longer struggling against life or my own self, but I could just let myself be and that evolve in these recent weeks. Do you, do you feel like not only are you not grabbing an enlightenment, but you're not grabbing at anything? It's like hmm. you just kind of I take still, everything more lightly or something. There is definitely a much lighterness to it. Yeah. I, I laugh almost everything nowadays. <laughs> um, but there, there's still desire. The desire hasn't gone away, but the desires themselves are... I think they're really funny. Uh, I'll have a desire to go get coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't really want coffee, but I'll have this desire to go get coffee. So I go get coffee. Mm-hmm. And then my roommate will be sitting there and he's looking at me like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And I'll sit down and like, and he'll, he'll, he'll just spill his beans. I'm like, I have this going on, I have that going on. And I'm and like, he really oh. needed to talk to you. Yeah, he needed to talk to me. I'm yeah. like, all right, great. And we'll share a cup of coffee. So that's why I wanted coffee. That's why I wanted coffee. <laughs> um, yeah. This has happened to me a lot. This is how things kind of work right now. Like almost uh, every day. This happened tonight. Yeah. Um, I, I decided, uh, I was like, well, I should get dinner before I come here. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Second Street Cafe and I walked in, saw a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey guys, how's it going? And we talked for a few minutes. I was like, I shouldn't be eating here. And I walked over across the street to go to Istanbul. Mm-hmm. I sit down and not two minutes later walks in Carolee forgotten her name and she's she'll she'll forgive me eventually Um, but we ended up sharing a meal together and talking and having a great time Hmm. but then after that I was like well I have some extra time and there must have been a reason I went to second street in the first place so I walked over to second street sat down within another two minutes another friend walks over and sits down at the table with me and we share like a few moments together Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how my experience is right now since you had this shift have you been in any circumstances where you were in a strange town or something and you weren't bumping into friends and did things seem to have that synchronicity value just as much there? That's a good question. I haven't really been out of Fairfield since this has really occurred. Mm-hmm. I'll take that back. I drove someone to, to O'Hare International Airport mm-hmm. and it was... Which is about a five-hour drive from Yeah, here. It's, it's a while away. And there was a coincidence kind of leading up to that, or not a coincidence, but a uh, they had called me and said, hey, I need to get to O'Hare by 7 o'clock in the morning. And this is at 12.30 at night, they called me. <laughs> and I was just about ready to go to bed. I was, I was supposed to write this paper, and it was the only reason I was still awake. Ah. But I couldn't write it, and I was going to just go to bed. Mm-hmm. And the phone rang. And I answered it, and uh, they asked me, and I was like, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I resisted it very strongly. And I felt, I just didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was making a bad decision. Not, not doing it? By not doing it. Uh-huh. And so I thought about it for a moment after that. And I was like, there is no reason why I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so I called him back. They get over there. We leave within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we're on our way to O'Hare. Nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Not too many people you could call at midnight to drive yeah. you to Chicago. I just did what I thought I needed to do. Huh. Um, and how did that whole trip turn out? It, it, was, it was good. They ended up sleeping most of the way there. And mm-hmm. I kind of drove on my own. And I had a, a really good experience of just kind of... It was an interesting... It was this, a new experience that I've been experiencing just recently was almost treating my body like it's an entity uh, awake. Like I can talk to my physiology in a way of like, uh, I, I kind of went inward and I was like, listen, I've got a long way to drive. You're not going to be able to sleep for a while. I need to be awake. There was almost like a very subtle awareness of like, okay. Hmm. And I drove the whole way, didn't need coffee, didn't need anything, wide awake. Hmm. I got there without any real problems. 
and then I ended up driving back home because I'm originally from Illinois. So I just mm. drove another three hours south to your home to Peoria, Illinois. Right. And I ended up staying there with my grandparents. I don't really think there was too much coincidence there. I don't remember anything sticking out. Although you never know, you know, I mean, it doesn't, I suppose that the significance of an event doesn't necessarily have to slap you in the face. You could have had some influence or maybe it's the last time you see your grandparents and you never know. Right. You know? <laughs> it's, it's a two-way street too. It's a, you know, you make a wrong turn and it takes you out of your way and you're like, well, I, what was that all about? Well, maybe you missed something. Yeah. That could, could have, have missed a car crash yeah, or something. Yeah. Exactly. Because that happened on the way to Chicago. I, mm-hmm. I missed a turn and I ended up taking this long way around and we were concerned that, uh, Time-wise, we would, wouldn't get there, and we got there perfectly on time, and I got home perfectly fine. If you were to fast-forward in your imagination to five or ten years from now, let's say you're married and you have a couple of young kids, and you have to be at a job from nine to five that you really need to be at in order to mm-hmm. support the family and so on and so forth, do you feel that that would um, put a damper on your spontaneity or this, this tendency to go with the flow? I probably would have thought that before, but I found that if that is the life that I was living, that would be in more in alignment to where I should be doing and what I should be going. And that spontaneity is, you know, where I should be mm-hmm. is with this family and in this job or whatever situation. And this is, I can use school as an example right now. Um, there's been a couple of days in school where I'm just like, I, I don't think I should go to class. And so I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And I ended up running into some really great people, spending a wonderful day, learning a lot more than I probably would have got out of a class for the day. Another situation is... Uh, I had a lot of reading I had to do for class, and I was really concerned I wasn't going to be able to do it because I was, you know, just being spontaneous and just running around town and doing what I thought I needed to do. And I helped a lot of friends and spent a lot of good times. And then I get home, get a phone call, oh, you don't have to do that homework. So I think there's an element of when you're on your path, you'll be supported. And I kind of feel if, if I were to fast forward, if this continues to, to unfold the way it is, I will be in a situation that will be in accord with that spontaneity. If it is spontaneous or spontaneous at that point, it could very well settle down to, okay, it's gotten to where I need to be and everything else just kind of goes. You know, you mentioned that you had studied Zen and, you know, Wiccan things and a whole bunch of different spiritual potpourri for about 10 years. What were your primary practices during that period and, and most recently? Um, when I was younger, I was much more into the ritual, ceremony, kind of aspects of paganism. I started going more towards the Eastern philosophies of Gnosticism and, and Zen Buddhism, and that's where I started picking up meditation. There were some meditation techniques during my, my paganism phase, as I like to call it, but they were more visualizations than any type of settling down or transcending. But I was using more reading-type techniques, slowing the breath, watching the breath. And there was some, also some concentration techniques where it's, it's watching the mind chatter and kind of shooing it away. Were you pretty regular and diligent with those sorts of things? Like every day you'd do something or just dabble here and there? I wouldn't say regular in the sense of like TM where, you know, the, the, you're asked to do two times a day. Mm-hmm. I would say every other day whenever I could fit it in. But I did much longer practices than just 20 minutes. It would be sometimes an hour, sometimes two, sometimes right. three. And pretty intense practices sometimes mm-hmm. of just really deep meditation. Um, I also got really strongly into the Course in Miracles mm-hmm. for about five to six years, up until just recently. Mm-hmm. I would say it was a main major part of my tradition. And there were practices in that? It's a lot of mind restructuring. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of looking at your beliefs and re-examining like, how much your ego is involved in that belief. It's a lot of forgiveness. And forgiveness, I would say, is still a strong practice of mine. Of mm-hmm. It's an understanding of 
not that they've done anything wrong, it's that you're holding something against them. Mm. And in the cosmic sense, they've done nothing wrong. Mm. But we have this tendency to, to cling to some minor infraction that they've caused us. And so it was kind of a watching what comes up when I interact with people and if I hold a grudge, you know, to immediately put this forgiveness practice into to use. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely a strong predecessor, I would say, to this new experience. Mm. Elaborate on the connection. It's kind of, in a more abstract way, it's almost that it, it, it changes the local experience. What do you mean the local experience? The experience of, I'll give you an example. I used to work for FedEx. It's a very high stress job. I was a truck loader and there was a driver that was worked a few trucks down for me. And we had gotten to do a spit. We were just fighting and you know, yelling at each other and very emotionally entrapped mm -hmm. in this, this argument. I put this practice into place. I forgave him. I, and it's all inwardly. I don't have to go and tell him this. Mm -hmm. This is all me forgiving what I hold against him, um, but putting that kind of out there. I immediately felt, you know, I should go down there and apologize to him. And so I walked down there. We both had big smiles on our faces. We started laughing about the whole thing. And, you know, oh, that was silly. Why do we? We shook. You know, we, we hugged, and this is not a hugging setting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we just joked about it. And it was immediately this, this local shift in reality of, of mental. We were both very stuck right. in this, this fight. And then that technique just shifted everything. And that's kind of how I feel in a sense where my reality is, is almost being manipulated in a way, a positive way, for whatever I need to do. That's neat. You mentioned, uh, I heard you tell a story last week about how you were crossing a street and some lady blew her horn at you or something yeah. like that. And that maybe you want to tell that story or maybe not. Okay, <laughs> uh, I can tell that story. I was at the coffee shop with uh, my roommate and some friends and we were having a good time. And I was like, well, I think it's time for me to go. And so I got up and I, I walked out and I, I, sh I usually would have waited for a ride and just rode back with my roommate. I was like, I'm just going to walk. And it was a pretty nice day. Mm -hmm. And I was walking across the street um, from the VFW. There's a stop sign there and a crosswalk. And I'm walking through the crosswalk and a woman comes up to the stop sign and as I'm about halfway across the street, she honks her horns at me. She starts kind of waving her hand at me in this like angry gesture and she's on her cell phone. Mm -hmm. And I just immediately just lock in on her and I just start yelling at her and I tell her to get off her phone and she needs to learn to drive and, and get really upset with this woman. And it was just so sudden. I, I didn't have any real like control or it was just pure reaction. I was still flustered over the whole thing. I was like, what is this all about? Like, why is she so angry at me? I had the right of way. She was at a stop sign. I had this feeling, though, that what had happened was fear had gotten triggered, that she was on her cell phone and probably didn't see me. Uh -huh. And so, so what, she might have been about to go and hit you or something. And she, it, that fear response triggered of, oh, my God, I almost hit this boy, and he didn't look or, or whatever. And I had. I had seen her car coming. I was like, well, I have a stop sign and crosswalk. And so I immediately just... It was uncharacteristic for you. Very uncharacteristic. Yeah. I'm very, pretty even keel. I, I swore and I got really angry. But I continue walking down the road and I see a car pull in and park on my path. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, goodness. This is, <laughs> oh, this isn't good. I, and I was hoping that she had just, that's where she was going and it wasn't going to be. She's stopping to, to engage with me. Mm -hmm. As I'm walking, she's walking slowly to where she's going so she can meet up with me. Mm -hmm. And we meet up and she immediately starts yelling at me about, I'm not looking both ways. Like she starts really strongly and I'm, and I lock right back on and just, you know, look, I have the right of way. You need to get off your cell phone. Like, what's your problem? And then she starts yelling at me. She's like, 
you're not going to win this argument by yelling at me. And I'm like, you came out of your car yelling at me. <laughs> and it was just, you know, no one was winning this argument. Right. It was just anger and karma and it was just no way to win it. And she, she pushed every button I had. Mm. She brought up my upbringing and she brought up all these other issues that I, I still have. I mean, explicitly she mentioned she, your oh, upbringing. She did. She did. She said, the problem with you is you were not raised. You grew up. I can still feel it. I, I know your face just got red. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel that excitement that was there. Yeah. yeah. And eventually I, I just was like, look, I'm done with this, you know, whatever. And I walked away, mm -hmm. but I still, I couldn't let it go because she right. was still talking at me. And I turned around, I yelled at her again, and, mm -hmm. and I was like, whatever. And I, I stormed away. And I, as I was walking home, I was like, what the heck was that all about? Like, <laughs> why that lady? Like, why? And then I immediately went back to that forgiveness practice that right. I had talked about. And I went inward and I was like, whatever that was, that's from me. That's not her. Right. You know, she didn't do anything to me. And I went through this forgiveness practice and I was, I was really jittery. Mm -hmm. Just so much energy had been released between the two of us. And I got home and I was still, still very... And I sat down and I wrote her a quick letter. Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, you know, my response to you was improper. You know, and I asked her for forgiveness. And I, I normally don't mm. physically ever ask anybody's forgiveness so I do something wrong. I just go inward, deal with it. And it usually turns around. But I was like, this, I think this needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote mm -hmm. this and I was, you know, forgive me for my behavior. I'm not going to argue with you who was right, who was wrong. That's here, here or there. Um, but my behavior was inappropriate. And, you know, I hope you forgive me for that. And I, I hope that we've worked through any karma that we had with each other. And I signed it, and I put it on a car, mm -hmm. and that's the last I've heard of it. Interesting. Two of you had something to yeah. go through. It was like a cat fight. It yeah. was just roar, roar, roar. <laughs> It was intense. It was probably the most intense experience I've had in a long time with somebody like that. How did you end up in Fairfield? <laughs> <laughs> through a series of coincidences, funny enough. I had pretty much decided I wasn't going back to school. I was just going to work and eventually become a writer and that would be my thing. You're over in Illinois. Over in Illinois, yeah. Peoria, around Peoria, Illinois. Mm -hmm. I had just moved back in with my mother again and I was working for FedEx in Peoria. I had, I had previously worked for FedEx in uh, Rockford, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I'd moved back. I actually quit that job. I was so unhappy. I, I just, that I was being pretty much, you know, mistreated. And so I, I left. And it was a really big deal for me because I'm a very rooted person when it comes to my obligations and my responsibilities. If I have a responsibility, I do it, whether I like it or not. Yeah. And so I walked out on this job in the middle of a shift. I, you know, I'm not taking this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was a really big deal. And it was this big release of like, good, that's done. I don't know what I'm going to do now, but it's done. And it was a six-month period of where I just didn't know what was, was going to happen. I was looking for a job. I was, didn't have any money. And I was playing video games a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to podcasts about spirituality. While you are playing? While games. I was playing video games. I was actually, actually pretty bored by the video games. The reason I played was because my friends played. Right. And I wanted to keep up with them. Uh -huh. So when they weren't online, I'd be playing and, and listening to these podcasts in the background. One of them I, I picked out was David Lynch talking about consciousness. Uh -huh. And the podcast itself, I, I, I don't even remember what it was about. I have no idea. And it was on a media player, and it cycled into another podcast. And the podcast was about a student's life in MUM. Mm -hmm. MUM meaning Marge University of yeah. Management in Fairfield, Iowa. <laughs> Just get, who, who yeah. knows who would listen to this? Yeah. I listened to this, and at first I, I kind of ignored it just because it was so outside of my, my realm of thinking at this point. I didn't pause the game, but I closed the game, and I, I replayed this thing again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no way. 
no way does this place exist. Mm. So I punch it up on the internet and I find the website. I'm looking around on it. I'm like, wow, maybe this is a college that I could go to. And I the see the website, by the way, is num.edu if anybody wants to check it out. <laughs> Continue. I check around the website and I found they have these visitors weekend things. Mm -hmm. and they're like 10 bucks and they refund your, your travel fees. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I think I can figure that out. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, pretty good deal. And then I found out it was, you know, only two and a half hours away from my hometown. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I can just drive up there. Yeah. And within a week, I was signed up for a visitor's weekend and I was out here. And it was probably one of the best weekends I've ever had in my entire life. It was just really, really great. What was so good about it? I got to connect for the first time with a lot of people that shared the same values as me, mm -hmm. had the same kind of spiritual mindset. People who are already here or people who are coming for the Visitor's Weekend? Visitor's Weekends, mostly. They were just people in the Visitor's Weekend. Checking it out. And our Visitor Weekend, fun fact, had probably the largest percentage of people come back to come to school. Hmm. I really felt like I could be me for the first time. Because hmm. my, my family, I come from a, a Christian family in the sense that they call themselves Christian. They don't really go to church. They don't yeah. read the Bible or anything like that. But they were very proud of that or very uh, accepting of that being their belief structure. Mm -hmm. So they're not that open to new ideas. Right. And so I had always kept my spiritual practices pretty hidden. And so coming here was like I could really breathe and let myself be. And I just had a great time. And I really thought the town was great. A month later, I had all of my paperwork done, the FAFSA sent out, and I got accepted two days before the move-in day. And I was here. That's great. And so has it lived up to your expectations? My experience here, yes. But I would say it's much different than I'd intellectually planned things to go. MUM has its place. I think it's great for those people it works out for. Um, I have my varying disagreements with philosophy there, but that's fine. But it has been a great place for me to run into my like-minded people mm -hmm. and have a place to where I can work on a degree while working on myself. Because mm. right now, I definitely, if the degree was any harder than than it is right now, I, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I'd right. be more interested in what's going on in me. So you're working on a literature degree. And I was wondering how your spiritual development and particularly this shift that you recently underwent impacts your appreciation of literature. Do you somehow see it with fresh eyes or deeper insights or anything like that? The last class that I just took, and this was during this period, was Hero in Literature which is based off of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Myth or Hero's mm, Quest. I have that queued up on Netflix and yeah. planning to watch that. I just noticed a really deep understanding of the archetypal things that were coming up in this class that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. One of the th main things was uh, the Grail Quest mm -hmm. um, and the Arthurian Tales. And I just really, really understood mm -hmm. the symbolism that was in these, these stories mm -hmm. really well. You're saying that this um, kind of shift from head to heart that you underwent and enabled you to understand things like that more deeply or more intuitively. Is that what you're saying? To some extent, I've always been really well, or really well equipped to deal with abstract concepts pretty well. Yeah. But I feel like I grasped these quicker than I normally would have. I just saw it. It was plain to me. And I could see it in a way that connected with me as well, yeah. of this kind of outward journey to find communion with God. Yeah. Um, that's the grail quest in a nutshell. But these archetypes, I could see how, too, they could... They could help facilitate ideas, like a compact idea in these archetypal understandings. And they resonate with us on a deeper level because it's, it's something that we all know mm -hmm. in a way. Whether it's, it's plain to us or not, we, we have experienced archetypes. 
in the month or so since your belief structure crumbled <laughs> and you you know you had this shift in your experience, is there sort of a settling of dust? I mean, is is there a, an ongoing clarification or ripening of the experience or enrichment or uh, have you kind of just basically shifted gears and now you're cruising along at the same speed in the next year? Um, I kind of feel like the last month was a, tr a giant trust exercise. As the universe was constantly showing that as long as I, I didn't resist and I trusted that I would be provided for. Mm. And every moment that that occurred, it, it worked instantaneously. Have you occasionally not trusted? Yes, yes. It's up against you? But in that self, it was, a, it was a very strong lesson and it was very clear. My roommate and I both wanted to meet up with a couple of friends and we were kind of forcing the issue. Like they usually hang out in the same spots we do and we didn't see them. We're like, well, they, they live right over there. Why don't we just go see if they're over there? And we both felt like we were kind of pressing the issue. So we walked over there, and it was just completely the wrong time mm -hmm. to meet up with them. They're you know, not in the right space, you know, kind of intruding on whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. And we both understood like immediately, like, oh, we shouldn't be here. We mm -hmm. left. But we both had that validation, too, of we should have trusted our in intuition, our instincts on this. But it, it was a great lesson in, hey, you know, this works out when you, when you do it right, and it doesn't work out when, when you don't. There's an interesting kind of paradox or balance between individual effort and going with the flow, you know? And like you just gave an example where you may, you were a little too intrusive in terms <laughs> of your individual effort. You yes. know, you, you should have trusted your intuition and just gone with the flow, uh, which was not to, to make, not to push the situation. Right. I'm wondering if, if it's always necessarily that way that you can actually successfully go through life just cruising and, you know, going with the flow, or if sometimes you, you need to take arms against a sea of troubles, as Shakespeare <laughs> put it, and, you know, just really apply some serious uh, gumption to breaking through some kind of boundary or resistance or opposing something that's wrong or whatever. It's definitely something that I've, I've mulled over, you know, is this something that's going to be constant in my life, the spontaneity or this sense of just release and let the flow take me, or is it something that I need to, you know, really be involved in and so far the experience has been that as long as I trust I am supported and if I resist in any way that I am not but it doesn't mean that the support is running the show and in the, in the sense that you know Maharishi teaches that in cosmic consciousness nature is functioning through the physiology for you and you are the silent witness at this point it's not that I'm still very active in my in my experience it's just that I'm kind of being led around the nose to where the experiences are mm -hmm. And then it's up to me to do that. But there is a strong feeling level, a strong intuitive feeling level of what I should be doing at that time, of how I should interact with somebody or which person to interact with. And it's, it's an ongoing process of, if it's, say, a, a group discussion and there's several crosstalks going on, and I'll, I'll kind of key in on which one I should be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll you know, work with there. And if the energy shifts again, I'll move to the next one. Mm -hmm. So you sort of go through life feeling shifts in energy, feeling kind of like as if a scent leads you in this direction, you know, a subtle, kind of. a subtle thing rather than it, anything obvious that slaps you in the face. It's really subtle. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's subtle to the extent that I don't know if I'm doing it right always. Mm -hmm. and, and the only way I know is that I've experienced, you know, good feedback. rewards or feedback right. from, from doing that. Somehow what you said in the last few minutes reminded me of Gandhi and also perhaps of Martin Luther King who was inspired by Gandhi and in both of which, whose cases, they were nonviolent 
You know, I mean, they're both nonviolent and did things in a way which was much less confrontational than some people might have liked. But you know, they moved whole societies mm-hmm. through that process. It's it's also I've I've had this good support of you know I wasn't sure like what I should be doing or what where I should be putting my attention. And things have been coming up. People have been coming to me with things of, mm-hmm. you know, hey, do you want to write this article uh, for the school paper? Which is, sure, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did that pretty effortlessly. You know, it worked out. Things seem to come into my awareness when I need them. I feel really supported right now. And I, I don't know if that is how it will be for the rest of my life or if this is some sort of integration period. It does feel a little more integrated. It doesn't feel as new and fresh or kind of like, will it work, will it not work? Mm. It feels more like, oh, this is just how it always was, Yeah, in a sense. So integrated sounds like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can kind of trust it more. Definitely. And it's not even a question of trust at this point. It's just, oh, wherever I go, wherever I'm being led around by the nose, is where I should be. There's kind of an underlying perfectness to everything. That's neat. Is the perfectness primarily a behavioral thing? In terms of you know being where you need to be and when you need to be and stuff, or is it is there even something in your has your perception shifted your actual way the way the world looks to you visually? Visually, everything and is through other senses also. Visually, everything is the same. I don't see auras. I don't. I don't, I don't see any of that kind of stuff. Or, right. Um, but there's a it's a strong feeling level has shifted mm-hmm. um, to where I don't really think about necessarily the decisions I need to make as as well as as more feel where my intuition is pointing me. Mm. Uh, and thoughts will come up to support or deny, you know, sometimes ego squeaks in, or, 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 I don't know, maybe we shouldn't go that way. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, for me, it's, it's a very subtle feeling level of things, of intuitive, where I should go, where I should be. Kind of lost track of your question there. Mm, I think you were getting it. Do you feel like you've become more creative? I don't know. Creative, creativity like when you have to is, write a paper or something, does it just flow more effortlessly, creatively? There, I, I did have that experience with the first paper I wrote for that class about the Holy Grail and all of that. But the second paper I had to write was about material that I didn't really connect well with. Mm. And it didn't, the paper didn't flow well yeah, at all. I had to really force the paper. Yeah. And it took me much longer than normal. I'm usually very good about turning stuff in on time. And this mm. was like five days late. And it was a very forced paper. I'm usually a very creative person with writing. Um, and I haven't really tested this out too much. I've been kind of just running around crazy like in a sense of uh, I just go all the time but it's very supportive too in giving me when I need my time it shows up there'll be a chunk of time where I have time to work on homework or take care of myself or get a nap in or whatever I need to do but creativity I'm not sure yet I think I need there's some more testing that needs to occur on that one interesting well I could ask you questions about where you see this going in the future and all that stuff and if you feel inclined to comment on that sort of thing fine but I somehow I'm feeling <laughs> Maybe it's contagious, it's rubbing off on me. I'm sort of feeling like that, that'd be a dumb question. Like, who knows where it's going? Yeah, I, I couldn't really give you anything but an intellectual guess. Yeah. But I don't think that's really that valuable at this point. Right, that's what I was sort of feeling. I won't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything uh, that you would like to say that you feel like might be of interest to people that I haven't thought to ask you about? I would say just from my own experience, um, there needs to, not needs to, but there's... It's kind of fundamental truth for me, and I'm, I'm just, I want to make that clear that this is my truth and not anyone else's. Mm-hmm. But there is a level of support occurring in everyone's lives. My support is that I run into these people I need to see, but they've also been supported in being gotten to me. Mm-hmm. And not all of them are having the same experience that I'm having, where they're being led around to the nose by intuition or, or the universe or whatever you would like to call it. There's a level of ease there 
that if you stop struggling for even a moment, it rushes in. Because the struggle you think is really big and is really uh, overpowering is actually quite illusionary. Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't have any mass. It doesn't have any mm -hmm. form really at all. And once you give that up, it compresses and it's gone. And you have much more space for this flow of nature to occur or support. And every path is completely different. And that's something that has really resonated with me recently is even though I find similarities in people's paths, they are completely and utterly different. And there's a deep respect for that mm -hmm. of, oh, that's their path. That's great. That's so exciting. Like, where do you think that's going to go? Or, mm -hmm. or how are you, are you having a good time, you know, with that? And there's a, a really deep appreciation for, you know, everything else everybody else is doing. I'm around people a lot, you know, oh, that's good. That's, this is bad, you know. People say that. Yeah, pe yeah. other people say, this is good, this is bad, this is... I don't enjoy this. I don't enjoy that. For me, I, I just had this level of, okay, you don't enjoy that, but it's, it's what you need at the time. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. Mm. And with that level of, of this ease or trust, life just gets easier. Mm. There's this such a release when you stop trying to control everything mm. because you just can't. Do you feel that the average person is capable of just stopping the control? Oh. Or do you think it's something that has to happen when you're good and ready for, for that kind of a shift? Well, I think everything happens when you're good and ready for it, whether it's abrupt and uncomfortable or easy and without much effort at all. But I think that, you know, the only reason that things like that can get said is that it will ignite somebody or somebody. one way or another. But I mean, if President Obama came on television and said, okay, everybody, stop controlling <laughs> America, I, just everyone chill and relax. And, I, I think uh, they'd oh, impeach him. <laughs> uh, people are, uh, I would say some people are very in love with their control or their idea of control. Mm. And they think that the world is a very scary and chaotic mm. place. Um, so people will come to this in their own, their own time, mm. their own level. And it, and it may not be the same experience for them. They may feel that they're very in control and having very deep, you know, enlightenment type experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, the, the step was to let go of the control. In my uh, experience over the years, the several times that I felt the greatest release of control and, and uh, upsurge of naturalness and spontaneity were kind of unexpected. You know, one of them actually happened in a dream. In my sleep, I woke up with radically improved sense of freedom mm -hmm. and release. And, and I felt like I had been released from an incredibly tight constriction or bond that I hadn't even known had been gripping me, you know, it, it, but it had been, gri been gripping me with incredible intensity. When it was released, I felt like this huge relief and gratitude and sense of freedom. But you couldn't have told me the day before, right. release this. Right. Release what? You know, fine, I'd be happy to, but, you know, where is it? What right. is it? How do I release it? But it just kind of happened when I was ready and I was asleep, as I said. <laughs> and I, you know, I woke up feeling like a new person. And there have been a few other instances like that. That was the most dramatic. Sometimes I hear people advocating that everyone should just sort of, you know, see things differently, <laughs> change your perspective. I wonder how voluntary it really is or whether, you know, you have, it, it'll just happen when you're, when you're ready. And maybe the best you can do is do whatever spiritual practices appeal to you in order to prepare yourself for that sort of transition. Well, I think that's kind of what's occurring when you do these spiritual practices, whatever they may be, is that there's a level of working through whatever things that you have to get out of the way for the more deeper spiritual experience to come up, whether that's uh, TM or Zen meditation or um, Eckhart Tolle's um, breathing exercises or 
Course of Miracles, of, of forgiveness techniques, of removing unconscious guilt, as they call it. Whatever it may be is uh, kind of rerouting things in your immediate universe to prepare you for these these experiences. And sometimes they come completely unexpected, like you said. Eckhart Tolle, he was not a very spiritual man, and he had his awakening one night. And yeah, he was on the verge of suicide, practically. Yeah, and there's that. a lot of people, There's there's kind of, it seems there's two two polarizations you can have of someone, you know, like Maharishi who goes into reclusion, becomes a monk and reaches enlightenment. And then you have Eckhart Tolle who's about ready to commit suicide mm. and he becomes enlightened. The same thing with Byron Katie. Yeah. She was at the end of her rope. And so you can either hit rock bottom or you can try to climb the ladder. Mm. And I suppose it's a matter of each person's individual path and unique pattern of unfoldment. Definitely. I, I have a really hard time thinking of or even comprehending any system that could make any group of people enlightened. A system will appeal to certain parts of their, their journey, but I don't, I don't think there's one system that can ever fully enlighten everyone. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> yes. Sly in the family stone set. It's a very uh, simple way of putting it, yes. There were times in my experience of teaching TM where the, the TM movement would try to do something where all 7,000 people working in some factory would learn TM. And I was actually in a, a thing like that in the Philippines where we were trying to teach a whole school to meditate. It was a, a bit of a frustrating experience because some people are obviously you know, into it and it appealed to them. But, boy, you sure couldn't force it on people who didn't <laughs> want to do it, you know? And it, it was really a, created a great friction to, to mm -hmm. try to impose it on, on people just sort of in a blanket fashion. Yeah, and you, you see that at, at almost every level of life, you know, people doing jobs they don't want to do, children going to schools that don't work well, well for them. Mm -hmm. It just creates the emotional feeling of unhappiness mm -hmm. because something's being forced upon you your free will is being taken away from you in a sense mm. or you have to give in your free will to someone else's will mm. um, imposed on you and so it creates friction it kind of harkens back to what you're talking about in the beginning of the interview where you said your your orientation for many years was to give your free will as it were to this guru or this teaching or this, this yeah. practice you know to kind of look to them for guidance as opposed to your own inner yes inspiration it was it was definitely a projection of of my spirituality responsibility onto them instead of accepting that spiritual responsibility it's also a realization of if i really wanted enlightenment why didn't i stick with any of these practices why didn't i actually really really focus in and really do the work well the, the answer is i didn't want to be enlightened i didn't want to have that experience i wanted to keep seeking i was mm. a seeker of truth and not a, an obtainer of truth so do you feel like if you had dug deep into a particular thing, you would have made more progress? Or was it that you hadn't found what you were looking for and it might have been wrong to commit yourself to something that might have closed you off to other possibilities? In a nutshell, I would say that it's just spiritual laziness or irresponsibility. Through all of these methods and patterns of, of spirituality that I've attempted, it has led me further consciously where a point where I could go, you know, I could have this shift. It's pretty futile to, to guess at what would have been in the yeah. past because obviously what I did was right or otherwise I wouldn't be here. I think there is a level of spiritual responsibility that is necessary mm. in walking an enlightenment path. And I for no moment at all believe that I am in a, an enlightened state at this point. Mm -hmm. Just had some experience which has changed my outlook in life. Having that responsibility in my spirituality, I feel much more at ease or yeah. walking the path that I'm, that I've, all of this energy that I've placed out on other people and hidden, hidden my responsibility on these other things 
has been withdrawn and now it's back in me mm. and I can go, well, this mm. is really not that hard. What, why was I making such a big deal out of this before? <laughs> it may be a bit presumptuous that we call this show Buddha at the gas pump, you know, the, the implication being that there are people like the Buddha walking around pump, <laughs> pumping gas and stuff. In almost every one of these interviews, I make the comment that we're not implying that you know, everyone who comes on this show has sort of reached some pinnacle of human evolution. What everyone has had is some kind of significant shift, mm -hmm. uh, which appears to be permanent in nature, and their life has, at least so far, and, <laughs> and their life has you know, really changed significantly as a result. Yes. And, uh, and there are many such people around. It's very interesting. And, and you know, people I talk to find that in, you know, who haven't had such a shift and hadn't even realized that many people have had such a shift find it very inspiring mm -hmm. that there is such an abundance now of people undergoing this kind of... It gives them hope to uh, progress to more of themselves. Yeah. This concept came to me recently of this flavor of God, that mm -hmm. your physiology or your personality is, is a flavor of the divine. And so everyone's experience is like a different flavor of ice cream. And it's very different. Uh, what they're attaining and what they're achieving is very different. Most of the people that I am with, or my friends or people I'm around a lot, are going through something. Hidden emotions are being brought up. Old karmic demons that they, they wouldn't take a chance to look at are surfacing. Like me and this, this woman that I polarized on and we, we had this thing. Like there's, there's no reason for that to have occurred other than I needed to take a look at that, whatever it was. Mm. So I think a lot of that is getting pulled up in this younger generation. I don't really know anybody who's not going through something right now. That's interesting. But it, I wouldn't say that it's all awakening experiences right. or enlightenment. Well, everybody's experiences. going through something. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it seems right. to be uh, surging right now. Well, you know, but the ice cream metaphor is an interesting one because even though there are so many flavors of ice cream, there are certain fundamental qualities of ice cream. It's yeah. cold, it's sweet, it, it could melt. You know, there are certain qualities that right. ice cream has. And like that, it, it almost se it seems like even though everyone expresses it in the, and experiences it in their own way, there are certain fundamental attributes to an awakened or an, an awakening state which are fairly universal. For instance, your thing of being more intuitive and spontaneous and mm -hmm. not, not forcing one's ego against the world so much. That's pretty common in people's experience. Yeah, there's, there's far more, far Silence, less... Silence, having a quieter mind, you know, that's another one. There's far less ego interaction that seems to occur too, that people interacting on a deeper level, even at a surface level, that there's something more going on than just two egos, you know, monkey chattering at each other. Right. There's a feeling level that's involved. There's, there's all in your experience. In my experience. Right. In my experience. Mm -hmm. um, with just the people that I've been around with, I just feel a much deeper connection to them. They seem to be aware of this as well. I mean, I've been recently, I've just been showered with love and affection mm. from all of my friends telling me how great I am. How, you know, what, you know, <laughs> well, let it go to your head, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is a big thing with me is I'm, I'm very much a, a giver uh -huh. and not much of a receiver. It's, it's hard for me to take in compliments. Mm. And they've just been blowing me away with it to where it's like, I can't say that, no, no. Uh, have people remarked that you seem to have changed? There have been some comments to that. I mean, you've uh, probably told your friends about it what you've been going through. So. Some of them, yeah, yeah, when it comes up. Has so. anyone whom you haven't told that you went, underwent an inner shift uh, remarked that you seem to be different in some way? Yeah, there's some people that come up to me and they're like, oh, you seem different, or oh. you seem really good, or, are you feeling good? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel great. Yeah. And then the story will usually unfold because they'll ask, you know, what, what caused this or, yeah. or whatever. 
Yeah, there's been some definite comments on, on my energy changing or, mm-hmm. or how they feel about being around me. So there's some, something to that, I guess. It's interesting that you say that a lot of people you know are going through stuff. And I presume and hope that the stuff they're going through is evolutionary and perhaps indicative of some shift on the near horizon. There does seem to be an accelerating awakening taking place from what I can observe. I mean, I don't you know, interact with that many people, but just more and more, it's more and more common to run into people who say that they've really changed in some profound mm-hmm. internal way. It seems to be happening at the level that people are ready for it. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, to the degree they, yeah, that they're ready for it, the degree that they're ready for yeah. it, um, and it's happening in in more subtle ways in some people's lives, I think, than others. Uh-huh. My friend recently told me a story that his sister had stage four cancer mm-hmm. and was going to die, mm-hmm. and he convinced her to stop chemo and move to a completely organic diet. This is somebody that would never have accepted such a, a thing of you know, right? Just by changing your diet, you can heal your body. Right? She did this. Cancer's gone. Mm-hmm. Completely fine. Doctors are completely blown away. It's these people that aren't necessarily spiritual or necessarily interested in these kinds of lifestyles, Mm -hmm. but their lives are changing too in subtle ways. Probably most of the people listening to this interview are aware that, you know, there have been predictions that the year 2012 is going to be a significant uh, threshold, you know, of change in the world and so on. And there's that movie out these days with everything being destroyed. People have a spiritual orientation feel that that's really not what if is meant by this prediction that we're in the midst of a spiritual renaissance, that higher states of consciousness will kind of become more commonplace or even the norm in the world uh, as a result of the changes that, that are taking place. That's more of a comment than a question, <laughs> but if you have anything to say about it. I could draw a conclusion from what I'm seeing currently mm-hmm. that that is, is in a process. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily 2012, um, the solstice of 2012 is the day that's forecasted is going to be any kind of observable benchmark. I think that we are in this process and have been for several years as we get closer to these dates that things are speeding up to an extent. I saw this funny cartoon where there were these two Mayans and one of them had this you know, big stone calendar and he said, I ran out of space, I can only go up to 2012 and the other Mayan says, boy, that's really gonna freak some people out. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that same cartoon. <laughs> this might be a good time to wrap it up unless you Sounds great. feel like, great. Well, thanks, Christopher. I really appreciated this. Um, and uh, as I always say at the end of this, these interviews, um, if you stay tuned for a few minutes, you'll see some titles. In those titles, you'll see links to various things you can do. Chat group, my email address if you want to send in questions. There's a YouTube channel if you're watching this on Fairfield Public Access TV station, in which all these interviews are archived. Perhaps by the time you see this, I will have managed to create podcasts out of this series so that people can listen to it while they're in their car or whatever. So thanks a lot for watching, and we'll see you next time. This has been Rick Archer interviewing Christopher Roberts on Buddha at the Gas Pump.